Good morning. It's great to be here. Great to see so many here. I'm grateful for the prayers that have been offered already. It's been a wonderful service to be here. We had a great VBS, and for everyone who participated in any way, whether it's just bringing cookies or whether it's corralling the kids or whatever you did, it was a buzz of activity around here, and it seemed like millions of people were doing millions of things, and it took it all that to pull that off, and this church is to be commended. It did a great job, and, and I think the kids were blessed by what we experienced. I have to say something else, too. I haven't had a chance to say since it started, but where's, where's Michael? Where? Oh, yeah, he's gone. I can, I can talk about him. We, we've decided we're going to fire him because he's not doing anything. Uh, I don't know if you've, seen, if you've seen him this week. You're one of the rare ones. He and April are just doing amazing things. And, and one of the things that he, that he came up with was the Summer Youth Series where he invites all these area congregations to, to meet at one particular location on a Thursday night and have like a youth event. And so far, we've had great turnouts, and most, a lot of churches are coming there. And, and that's something where he's trying to get something started that we're not, we just don't interact enough. The churches kind of, I don't know, nitpick each other or something. We're just not getting along with each other or something. And he decided we're going to, the young people will lead us and show us how this is done. They've been a, doing a beautiful job. And so I just want to commend him for that. And I meant, I, I meant to brag on him, but he's not here. But you can just tell him I did, how to do it. That's uh. I have to do that every three months. I got that done. Okay, um, uh, Jonathan also is leaving. Jonathan and Madison are leaving. Remember that next Sunday, we're going to have that after the morning service, but also we're doing a money tree thing. We want to send them off like really rich and stuff. So if you would help with that, if you are willing to do that and you appreciate what they've done, I, I'm going to say some things about I'm not going to go into that right now as much as I want to, but n- next Sunday we will a little bit and just just commend them as they take off and and that program is a great program, and this couple is a great couple for it, and they've been a blessing to us, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to like seeing them leave. But anyway, it's a, it's a good thing. If you will, will make your way to um, Ezekiel 18, that's where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Sometimes that's a hard song to sing. We're going to play a little bit of Who Am I? I'm going to read some descriptions, and you have to come up with the answer. But let me just say this. Some of you are going to come up with the answer right away. Don't say it out loud. Don't do that, that out loud thing. Don't think out loud. Just kind of keep it to yourself, because some people are going to get this quickly, and others are going to take a little bit, and that's okay. Just work through it. And I know that we're Church of Christ, and so let me just tell you right away, the answers are not Jesus, and it's not baptism, Okay. That's not the answer. So if, if, if you're just thinking, well, we're Church of Christ, Jesus, no, no, it's not that. Here's, here's my statements, and, and you've got to answer, who am I? When the first gospel sermon was preached in its entirety in Acts 2, the people responded, what must we do? And I'm the first word of Peter's answer. While God used to wink at ignorance of people, Paul told the people of Athens that now God requires everyone everywhere to demonstrate me. 
How many have it, you think, already? How many have it? Okay. When the tower fell and killed 18 people, some wondered, were the ones who died there more wicked than most people? And Jesus said, it has nothing to do with that, but listen, you must... Re- I almost did it. I, I just about just blew the whole thing. It, it's not about that, but you must all do this or likewise perish. Whew. When Peter was explaining why God is delaying the end of time, he says it's not because God is slow in keeping his promises, but God's patient wanting to give everyone a chance to me. I heard some groaning on that one. Stop yourself. Last one. Harder one. In Romans, we're told God's kindness and his sternness has a purpose. God's kindness and patience and forbearance is meant to lead us to... And the answer is, I am repentance. Very nice. You guys did that. And the rest of you kind of mouthed it like you knew the answer and you had no clue. I saw some of you doing that. Repentance. I'm a believer that baptism is essential for salvation, but I'm also a believer that baptism means nothing if it's not preceded by repentance and a change of heart. Repentance simply simply means a change, and change is very difficult because habits form and patterns of thought rule our lives for so long, and sometimes those patterns and those habits are sinful, and we must change if we want God to enter our lives and save us. Repentance is needed to enter the kingdom, and repentance is needed to stay there. Is this true? Is it that big a deal? It is. Now listen, here's what he would say. If you don't repent, you're going to die. That's what Ezekiel 18 says, and Scripture concurs with that. If you don't constantly repent, you will die. If your friends do not repent, they will die. If your family members do not repent, they will die. If the world doesn't come to know God and repent, it will die. The gospel we believe is good news, but before it's good news, you have to know what the bad news is. And the bad news is really, really bad. It's fully bad, all the way to the bone bad. But the gospel answers it. When we were determining on the Wednesday night summer series things, giving out different chapters to different people, I wanted somebody to take Ezekiel chapter 18, but nobody wanted to touch it. They kind of treated it like that dish of Vienna sausages and cottage cheese at our potluck. They just, it just sat there. And nobody wanted to touch it or deal with it and thought there's nothing significant about Ezekiel 18. And you couldn't be further from the truth. It's a great, great chapter, and I want to deal with it this morning on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, by the way, to you, who, you dads. Let me give you the doctrine of this passage first that was read so capably a moment ago by Perry, and that's this. Every soul belongs to God. Every person who lives and breathes and was ever created came from God and is going to God. God has their future in his hands, and in fact, every person who lives will be held accountable by God, and you will have to answer to God. Do you believe this? Oh, well, this is a bad start. Let's try this again. Every soul belongs to God. That's a Christian who comes to church on Sunday morning, and that's the person who hates God. Everybody belongs to God. Do you believe that? It is true, Ezekiel says. It's one of those foundational universal truths. Number two is every soul will either live or die. You can see that in verse 4. And we're not talking about our normal way of talking about live or die. We're talking about spiritually. Every soul will either live with God in eternity or die apart from God for eternity. Every soul will go to one or two places. You believe that? Yes, it's true. And the choice belongs to each individual soul. 
God is pro-choice. He's given you the full dignity of making the decision for yourself. He will not interfere in your freedom to choose for yourself. Most of the time we're grateful for this, but some of the time we resent it. But this, all this means is that you can't be mad at God for what you choose. It's your choice. But you need to know something about God from this chapter. I'd really encourage you to underline some stuff in this chapter. There's about five or six verses that I think you should underline forever, okay? And verse 23 and verse 32, listen to this. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? That's a question. What do you think the answer is? He's asking you a question. No. Thank you. No. I, I want you to know, what, if your view of God has you, d- that, that he delights in people who, who spurn him and he gets to send them to hell, if that's your view of God, you need to repent. Because that's not the God of Scripture and he reveals himself. He absolutely has a broken heart over anyone who's separated from him this moment or forever. He does not want a certain, a single person to die apart from him. And if there's wicked people out there, he's not just waiting, just chomping at the bit to destroy them. He's giving them time to change their position with him. We serve a God who loves all people, created them, and wants to bring them to himself. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. He is pro-choice in his posture, but he is pro-life when it comes to his desire for you. He longs to bring you close and give you eternal life. He wants you to exist forever with him in a loving fellowship with him. It's much like that that father who plays basketball with his son, his father, the son is six, seven, eight years old, and the little boy runs into his mom and says, guess what, mom, I just beat dad in basketball. How did he beat his father in basketball when he's seven? How did it happen? He led him, right? He did everything he could to tilt it in his direction. Lowered the basketball goal, lifted up the kid. He didn't block him, you know, and he shot terrible, and he shot it over the court. And the kid comes in thinking he won. Well, the dad let him win. Can I tell you something? If you get to salvation with God, it's because he let you. Because he wants you. He's tilted in your direction. You know what he does? He looks at you and he sees the sin that you created. The distance that you put between him and you. He knows that it's your fault and there's nothing you can do to fix it. And God sees the problem and he wants you so bad that he says, I'm going to create a solution. I'm going to be the solution. I'm going to go to earth in the form of my son and I'm going to die to make it possible. And then I'm going to send preachers to come to their house or come to, uh, through scripture or through a neighbor or through a family member and I'm going to have people tell them and I'm going to tell them all I can and I'm going to make sure they know it. God tilts it in the direction of you coming to him. He doesn't just sit there and say, well, you choose for yourself and then leave it to you. He's done everything he can, church, and you know it's true. This morning, if you're saved and you're living with God in close fellowship, it's not an equal proposition that got you there. It's only by the grace of God that you're there. He did most of the work, and all you did was cooperate with him. That's what he wants to do for all people. That's the God we serve. And so we need to talk about hell and what happens when people choose 
to forsake God. But listen, when you talk about hell, talk about it truthfully. Talk about it with a broken heart. Talk about it reluctantly because no one, God doesn't want anyone to be there. But I'll take, take Ezekiel, for instance, because Ezekiel's trying to move a group of people back toward God because they've chosen to reject him. Here's what God did. He brought them out of Israel. You remember this. We're in Exodus on Sunday nights. He brought them out of slavery, gave them a land of milk and honey. That's how he described it. Gave them a land of plenty and prosperity. And he said, now I'm gonna I want you to choose this. Before Moses died, I I'm going to give you the choice. You're going to go into this land, and you can serve me, and I can continue to bless you, or you can choose to take this as I've earned this, I'm entitled to this, and you fall away from me, and I punish you. You choose. It's your option. And you know what they chose? They got in that land. They started thinking, hey, this is about us. We're good. We earned this. We're entitled to this. And God had to punish them. He punishes the northern tribes, ten of them, by divorcing them. God divorces his people and scatters them to the east. Those four winds, right? And they're gone forever. Nobody knows where they are. And the southern tribes look at that, and they still don't repent. They still don't come back to God. God, the promised land is this. It's an experiment of God just being able to bless people into relationship with him, to woo them to him. And guess what? It doesn't always work. God would love to just bless you into relationship with him. And we live in the most blessed, prosperous nation in the world. And even while we're getting more prosperous, we're shaking our fist at the Creator God. So, when that happens, God decides, I've got to try discipline then. So he takes these southern tribes and he says, I'm not going to divorce you and scatter you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to put you in time out. We're going to have a good breather period. And I'm going to send you into the land of the Babylonians. Or I'm going to send you to those people. And he sends Ezekiel with him. Ezekiel is a good guy, and he's trying his best to get the people to come back to God. But there they are in captivity. They've been there for a few years, and God can't reach these people. They're so hard-headed. You ever have a kid that when you punish them with spanking, it doesn't do any good, just makes their head harder? Paul Wallace said one of his kids was that way, and one of them's here. Uh, the, the, other one, the other one is time out. We're going we're gonna to put them in time out and make them think about it, and your kids think about it for about 30 seconds, and they don't care. You take away their keys, you take away their phone, you take away all number of things. No matter what you take away, you do not get through to these kids. That's the way the southern kingdoms is being, is being the southern tribes. And the book of Ezekiel is Ezekiel trying to get through to them to get them to repent. And so this morning I'm going to pull off an Ezekiel. Can I tell you what his first step is? Chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. I want you guys to take responsibility for your lives. They weren't taking responsibility. They were evading responsibility. And he says, I want you guys to shut up. That's what he says. Now, I know you parents are going to come in. That's a bad word for my kids, and you just said it at church. Well, I'm, I'm, it's the Hebrew. It's in the Hebrew. Look it up. You can't look it up. You've got to take my word for it. It's a shut up right here. He says, I want you to quit singing the song. You get this song? Go ahead, jump ahead a couple. Yeah, this is the song. They were singing this in captivity. And also at Jeremiah, they were singing it back in Jerusalem where they still had hope, right? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. What in the world does that mean? It's a song they're singing. The fathers have eaten the sugar, and the kids are the ones getting fat. Or the, the, the dads are eating the bad stuff and the kids are getting sick. 
Now, what they're saying as they sing this song is, we are in captivity not because of anything we did. We're in captivity because of what our daddies did. We are evading responsibility. It's not our fault. It's somebody else's fault that we're in this mess. And in fact, we're powerless to do anything about it. We are innocent, poor victims of what previous generations did to us. And we're sitting at karma. What goes around comes around. And it went around for our parents. They got to live it up. And we're the ones it's coming around on. And we're having to pay for it. And they aren't angry. They just say, this is the way it is with life. So we can't do anything about it. Ho-hum. Somebody else's fault. And God says to Ezekiel, tell them to ban this song because it's a lie. And if you believe it, it empowers you to be some little innocent victim who can't do anything about their circumstances and I'm just stuck here and it's not my fault. And our culture has songs like this, church. And we are very close sometimes to even as church people picking up these songs and singing to them and tapping our toes and we start to believe the doctrine that lies behind them. Let me give you some of these songs. I was born this way. Have you heard this song? I was born this way. I was given and issued an entire script for how I'm to live my life with my genetics. Genetics is God in our culture. And if I was born this way, there's nothing I can do to change it. This is the way I am and the way I, the way I live out my script according to this identity was issued to me at birth and no one can tell me any different. The biological juices have determined everything about me and I can't do anything about it. And it's a bald-faced lie. I don't know how sexual identity can be considered a born thing. If it is a born thing, I was born heterosexual. I kind of have a weird thing about that. But even if I was, I have to conduct myself according to the will of God as revealed in Scripture. Even if I'm tilted a certain way, and I'm gonna, this is going to make some of you mad. I've had people call me up mad on the phone about this. Even if you are born tilted homosexual, you still have to honor God's will as revealed in Scripture about your conduct. Now, you're saying, are you saying they're born that? Could be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are or not. There are, we have all got a certain kind of things that we're tilted with. If you think that because you're born this way, it means that you can just live that up any way you want to and honor a script that culture gives you for it, you are buying a lie. And if we think we can't argue that because someone thinks they are, we haven't fully appreciated the role of the Word of God in our lives. There's another one. Boys will be boys. Boys are just, you know, they got, they're hot-blooded and they got these feelings going through them and they can't be expected to control themselves. Bull! That's not true. That is not true. I don't care what it says. And so we have a lot of people going around, well, you can't really control them, so let's just let's give them a condom and let them go do what they want. No. 
No, if you are a young man who's a Christian in this assembly right here, you are expected to behave yourself and control yourself. I don't care what culture says, and I don't care what your feelings are. There is a will from God that guides your life. Don't buy this lie. Girls, don't fall for it. Tell them you don't want a boy, you want a man, a man of God who can control himself by the Word of God. That's what you say. Whatever makes you happy, this is the trump card of culture. Well, I know it may not be right for you, but it makes me happy. And if anybody ever try to tell them right or wrong about something from Scripture, well, I know what it says, but this makes me happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. What if I like 10-year-old boys? What if that makes me happy? Is that song true for him too? It's a lie. And we're swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. And it's making us evade responsibility. Here's one. I hear this at the fitness center all the time. It's this guy in a biker jacket type thing, and he's singing, I'm, I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. I'm an evolved monkey. So don't expect me to act any higher than a monkey. Embrace your wild origin. You are not a wild monkey. You're not just a human. You are a redeemed human by the power of God. So act like it. This is just the way I am. Here's one. It's been this way a long time. I've always been this way. I can't break this mold. This is, you'll just have to accept me the way I am. And they come forward on the Just As I Am song, and they stay in verse 1 all their lives. But I want you to know that when you come forward and you become a believer, God does accept you just the way you are, and then he puts himself into you. And when he puts himself into you, you are no longer just who you are. That's our doctrine, church. We've got to act like it. Don't buy this stuff. We're hearing it everywhere. We're even quoting it ourselves. And it's evading responsibility. This one hurts. You get it honestly. Okay, so in our family, we hear this once in a while. Here's a little bit of openness here. My number one weakness. There's several of them. We could preach for months on this, but we ain't. The number one weakness is anger. And I used to throw weed eaters around the yard like you would not believe. I don't know how many of those I broke. I have the same weed eater now for the last five years. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. It's a still. I think that may be one of the reasons. But I get so angry. And I la you can laugh about that, but can I tell you something? It's not funny when Christian adults are slinging stuff around their yard in anger. It's not funny, and it's not right, and it's not what God would call us to. It's kind of hard being a preacher for a church when a guy said, well, I passed his yard the other day, and he was slinging his pushmill across the yard. It'd be kind of hard to do that, and it's embarrassing, and it's shameful because you're not supposed, you're to control your anger, and this is a spiritual moment. I believe that with all my heart. And then all of a sudden, as Melissa would be so gracious to tell you, is that Noah started showing signs of this. And she'd just say, well, we know where he got that from. This is a dangerous thing. It actually came from her dad, actually, is where that came from. That's if we told the whole story. 
if he hears that and thinks that it justifies it, that it's genetic and he has no choice, it's a family trait, and he takes it in and doesn't anymore fight against it, he is sinning. Just because we have a family trait of some fallen characteristic like this, it does not justify us letting it live unchallenged in our lives. You have to fight it no matter how natural it is to you. That's why Paul calls it the natural man. There is no justification just because you've, you've, you've watched it from a loved one. Here's one. Labels of all kinds are like this. I hear, I have people at church camp or somebody at school, you public teachers know this. They'll come up to you and say, my son has ADHD. He can't control himself. You have to let him bounce around the classroom. Baloney! Start taking some control. Start taking some... There might be some medications and stuff. They can be taught. You cannot say to them, well, you've got this, so you can't help it. So you go ahead and bounce around the classroom. You must grow up and take control. That's what Ezekiel is saying. Give you an example of this. A few months ago, it's actually been about a year and a half ago now, that these, I think it was in Colorado, that these movie theaters were saying... It's no longer reasonable to expect millennials to turn their phones off for a movie. So we're going to let phones be turned on at movies. Our kids, our kids can't control themselves to go without a phone for two hours. What kind of kids do we have? Seriously? I remember a girl in Kennett who could play basketball better than anybody, scored 50, 50 points a game, unbelievable, wonderful, talented young person, got a full ride to ASU, but it hits her junior year, and according to her family ethics, she's supposed to start having kids to get more checks. She has a full ride to ASU, and everybody's telling her, full ride to ASU, you can go through that whole thing, and you can rise above where... No, no, no. The script I've been given is I start having kids as soon as I can so we can increase the checks. And we've got a whole culture of people who are doing this stuff. All I'm saying about all this is these are the songs or the poems that were constantly being quoted in our culture that tell us we don't have to take responsibility for ourselves and their lies. They're all a lie. That's why God says through Ezekiel, quit singing the song. It is a lie. You will never be judged for what's done to you. You will be judged for what's done by you. It's That's the body of evidence used as your behavior. I want you to see two things. Underline these. Verse 14 of chapter 18. Look at verse 14. Now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and doesn't do likewise. He's watched his father abuse him. He's watched his father abuse his mother. He's watched his father drink. And he looks at it and he says, I'm not doing that. He can do it. You're not caught in an endless cycle where you have no choice. Look. Think. Choose different. That's what the Ezekiel writer is saying here and preaching. And I want you to look at another verse. Look at verse 27. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed, does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Here's the question. Who saved his life? 
He did. He made a conscious decision to choose something different. We all have been given this in our lives. Take responsibility. Parents do influence their kids' actions. It explains why they do what they do. Parents do not excuse their kids' actions. Let me lighten this up just a minute for those of you who are already thinking that you see exceptions. You may have had a lousy father who didn't love you like he should. He tied his approval of you to some talent or behavior instead of you as a person. Maybe he never cherished you. Maybe he never blessed you by just letting you be you and accepting you. And I'm sorry for that. No one should live like that. But that's no excuse for you to do the same thing in yours. That's no excuse. I know it's hard, and I know that some people are dealt a hand that's not fair. Some people are given a a decent hand at birth. Some people are given a negative hand at birth, but it doesn't change anything. Grow up and be an adult and choose. Here's how I view it. One day I'm going to stand before God in judgment, and I'm going to be judged for the way I handled my anger in front of my kid. I will have to answer for that. But when he stands before God in judgment, he will not be able to say, but dad, we both have to accept responsibility for both of what we do in that moment individually before God. I gave him an unfair shake because I wish he could have had a perfect father. I wish he could have, but he didn't. But he cannot use that to lie in his own imperfection. None of us can. So take your straps from God because of what you've been and all the, the, the failures you've done and apologize for them and repent from them, but do not let that form an excuse or justification for you wallowing in your own. Be a man, be a woman, and make your own choice. Take responsibility, and then he moves on to say, take advantage, and I'm going to move quickly from here. I know this is too long already, but take advantage of God's grace, and his grace appears twice in this passage. I'm going to lead you through this quickly. Verse 5, if a man is righteous and does what is just and right, it says, he will live, verse 9, verses 5 through 9 is one man, and this one man lives a righteous life, as defined by this on this next screen. Notice this, he correctly worships. Correct worship is part of a righteous life. He is sexually pure. He treats others who are in need with respect and dignity. He's being generous toward those instead of being greedy. And he's doing what is right. And, and, he, and, and God says, because of this, he will live. But then, look at verse 10. If he fathers a son who's the opposite, he fathers a son who looks at his behavior and says, I don't want any of that. He's violent. He's, he's greedy. He's jealous. He's envious. He's quarrelsome. He's immoral. He's going to die for his behavior. We see that in verse 13. And then we have man number three come up in verse 14. Suppose this man, his son, the grandson of the first man, fathers a son who sees all the sins his father has done, and he does not do likewise, but instead returns to his grandfather's behavior. He will live. It's not based on a family rate. There is no family rate of righteousness that because of your grandfather, everybody's going to be in heaven. There's no family rate. It's an individual rate. It's what you choose to do. And you can watch your family and model your family, or you can reject your family, but whatever you do, it is your choice. 
Now, I want you to see grace here in two places. First of all, verses 13 and four, or verse 9. Notice that it says, God's word is the standard. Walks in my statutes, keeps my rules by acting faithfully. God, through his word, he says the same thing in verse 17. He says, I've told you what's righteousness. I've told you what's right and what's wrong. You don't have to discover this by trial and error. You don't have to wonder what it is. You don't have to throw a, a, a Hail Mary. I'm telling you through my word what is right and what is wrong. I'm giving you exactly the criteria I'm going to use to judge. I'm handing it to you. I've inspired it through my people, and I've handed it to you. You can know what's right and wrong. God in his grace has given us revelation. But that's not all. He's also given us forgiveness. So I want you to notice verse 22. Actually, back up verse 21. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he will live. He won't die. None of the transgressions he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness he has done, he shall live. Do you hear that? Anything that you've done, no matter how bad and heinous it is, no matter what a horrible thought you had, no matter what actions and how you've treated people, I don't care what kind of rebellious wild oats you've sowed all these years, the moment you turn in repentance to God he forgets every one of them you don't have to go back and fix them you don't have to go back and repay them you are free from them the moment you turn the moment you turn God says I don't want the weight and the burden of your past to be a reason why you don't turn the moment you make the decision to turn God's memory bank clears you'll never pay for that again God doesn't forget anything it just says he's not going to remember them against you ever God gives grace to the humble and if you humble yourself and take responsibility he'll rush in grace into that hole and that's done there's one other thing take responsibility take advantage of his grace, and then take action. They are in captivity, and if God's announcing the decision, here's what it is, verse 30. I will judge you, a house of Israel, every one of you according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent. This penalty you're suffering is self-inflicted. It's not because of somebody else. As long as we're diverting the blame, as long as we're pointing fingers at somebody else, as long as we're making excuses to justify ourselves, as long as we're denying it, we are not taking responsibility. And because of that, we have no way of repenting. And I think a lot of the reasons people don't repent anymore and don't come forward is because of this. They're not responsible in their mind. And God says, oh, yes, you are. So you must repent. You must then, he says, cast away from you the transgressions you've committed. Whatever you are doing that God found offensive that is wrong that you need to repent of, quit doing them. Change. Do something different. Turn away from it. And then he says, I'll give you a new heart. Actually, you live out of a new heart and mind. God issues it to you. That's at baptism for us. God issues you a new heart and mind called the Holy Spirit. And if you live out of that Holy Spirit, you're living new. Why is that important? Back up to verse 24. This is maybe the bad news. But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, does the same abominations the wicked person does, shall he live? None of his righteous deeds that he's done will be remembered. Do you realize that when you become a Christian, 
And you start doing righteousness, but then you change. God forgets your righteousness too. It's a decision you have to embrace every day. It's not, well, I made that decision a long time ago, and, and I'm, just, I'm just living my life. No, no, no. Because if you've changed your behavior since then, God's forgotten that form of righteousness. You must choose it every day. I want to review this. I want some answers. I want to hear you. If I don't hear you, we're just going to stay here forever, okay? Question number one. Who makes the choice that determines life or death for you? A, God, B, each soul, C, your family, or D, your friends? B, each soul, you choose. You see where you are on your pew right now? Your mama and your daddy have no bearing on this decision. Neither do your children. It's you. It's you and God together. And you choose for yourself. Question number two. If God had his way... A, he wouldn't care what you do. B, he would relish sending you to hell. C, he would bring every soul to him for life. And D, he would just let time go on forever. Which one is it? C, you guys are passing great. Next one. How does a soul choose life? A, it doesn't. God does. This is going to separate you from the rest of the religious world, whether you choose A or not. I'm telling you, it's not right, so don't answer A. Okay? B, it does what makes it happy. C, it does its own thing. D, it lives a righteous life following God's will. D, you should know that. Next one. So what do you choose? It's not what you say. You can't answer this one out loud. You answer this with your life. It's not what you say. Here at the end of this chapter, God asks the question, Why will you die, O house of Israel? Verse 31. Why will you die, O house of Israel? The answer is because they chose to. But this is not a question. This is a question mark, but it's a cry from God. Why are you doing this, God says. Everything I've done, I've tried to get you here, and it's for your best. Why do you choose death? Why would anybody choose death? But some are going to. What do you choose? A, life, B, death. You're making the choice right now, and I urge you to choose wisely as we stand and sing.